I'm Kate Daniels. If you feel that saving our planet is beyond each person's ability, meet biogeologist and author Hope Jaron, who with her incredible book, The Story of More, helps us to see how each of us has the power and the potential to do something to make a positive difference, and together it can amount to a whole lot. Hope Jaron, good morning. It is really so wonderful that you can join us this morning. Thank you. I am so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. And you are just uh, an incredible, fresh voice to me, fresh. But you, although you've been doing this work in science, I, I would dare say for your entire life, but the, you're refreshing in the way that you tell the story. And that's what we have here, the story of more, which is so incredible because we could get all bogged down and feeling very down and depressed about climate change because here's the... The subtitle, basically, how do we got to climate change and where to go from here. So you don't just get right into that. You give us such a, a broad scope so we can really grapple with this and I think easily understand it. And I would dare say that was perhaps your hope. Hope? Yes. Yes. I mean, I'm a storyteller at my core, and I've always told science as a story, and it works with students. You know, this is the story of how a seed becomes a tree. Um, that works a lot better than, you know, memorize the stages of um, <laughs> xylem growth over blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, because our lives also are stories, and our collective lives together is this story that is the last 50 years. And the way we eat has changed. The way we get places has changed. Um, what we value in terms of having in our home and how we spend our weekends, all those things have changed. And uh, it's hard to see them unless you really slow down and, and take a look. You know, how is the, the snack that you ate when you came home from school uh, 50 years ago different than the one that your kid goes for when he comes home and goes to the refrigerator. And when we reflect on just little things like that, the stories of our lives, um, we see that it's part of a much bigger picture that reflected what was happening the earth over. You know, more plastics were being constructed, more sugar was being constructed, fruit and vegetables were coming from us from much farther away. And so I believe if we get into our own stories, take the time to tell each other our own stories with authenticity and authenticity and honesty and and respect um we'll start to see these things clearer and and especially with respect to climate change and the earth we have now we can only really decide what what to do if we can see where we are and we can only see where we are if we step back and trace our steps and see how we got here and that's what this book is about, the story of how we got here. And what I really love is how you tell us this story without having to get into a lot of jargon and perhaps scientific terms we wouldn't understand by making it your story, uh, your experiences, and then melding it into what is going on. It's so readable, and that, I, I think, helps us to maybe be able to incorporate it much more easily or understandably? I know when you talk to students, 
if you want to teach a class and if you want to have it really stick, you know, my goal has always been for people to leave the university saying, of all the classes I took, that was the <laughs> best one. That was the one I remember stuff from. And the way to make that work is you come to people where they are and you start with them from the place of what they believe is important and what they know to be true. And that doesn't include jargon that you learned by yourself in a rarefied environment for 20 years. It just doesn't. It starts at common experience and it starts at just talking to each other, you know? And if you're using words that only one of you understands, you're not talking. You, you've got to share share the ideas by sharing the words. And I love to do that writing. I've done plenty of scientific writing reports and papers and all that sort of business. And it's it's been a lot of fun over the years. The experiments were fun and it's, it's fun to try to get good at that type of writing, but it's a new challenge to me, uh, talking to the public and, and talking well, you know, how, how well can I get this through without sacrificing any of the science? But but getting it through to somebody who hasn't walked the same path I do, somebody who's just as smart as I am, but didn't spend 20 years the same way I did. Uh, I think that that tone of respect and um, solidarity, if you will, I think I dare say that's what separates my science writing from a lot of authors out there and maybe makes it worth uh, going to the bookstore and giving it a spin. <laughs> well, absolutely. And the thing is that here, this is something that obviously is critically important to every single one of us. And the majority of the people are we the kind of, I'm going to say the common people, not the scientists. So to be able to communicate and get this idea across to us, the majority in a way that we can understand can help us really grapple with the understanding and then do something about it. Yeah, there, there, there's a lot of books on climate change out there. You know, I, I go into the bookstore. I always do this before I write. I go into the bookstore and, and I look around and I say, why does the world need one more? Why do we need a book on climate change from Hope Jaren? And I open them up and, and I try to see what's going on. And there's a couple things that I really don't like. The first is that fear tends to be a... Um, a thread that runs through some of these things, that if we could just make people more afraid of the consequences of climate change, that would somehow in itself accomplish something. And I'm very firmly against that position. I think it's an abuse of, of scientific training. I, I didn't, you know, I think, I think instilling fear is very close to, to, um, pushing propaganda. And, and it's never what I wanted to do. Um, the other thing is more pragmatic is that people don't make good decisions when they're afraid. In general, fear leads to paralysis, not action. And so I, I think informing people and, and scaring them is not the same thing. And I think um, with integrity, doing my job is, is, is to is to calm people and to walk them through what I learned and how I learned it, and then to let go and trust that they will make of it what they will. The other thing that I thought was missing was a, a bit of a look back. Uh, it almost seems that climate change is something that the media invented in the last 10 years. It, it seems like it wasn't something we talked about much, and then it came screaming onto the scene 
and we see it on our news channels almost every night. This is not something we decided to talk about now. This is something that is the product of little choices we made every day for the last 50 years. We chose to use more and more energy. We chose to produce more and more food. We chose to throw more and more of those things away. And it all added up to a toll on the earth that's becoming more and more evident. And I think when we see those pieces all put together, we get a much better handle on what it would take to turn things around. And there is both the challenge and and the hope, which is so great that it ties into your name, I think. But it is a very key word that there is that potential. And with the way that you share the stories with us in The Story of More is uh, giving us that opportunity to see this background and, and really in the latter chapters, a chapter what we might do to make some changes and, and realizing that small changes really do count. I have a lot of colleagues that push for policy change, you know, carbon tax and um, policies around manufacturing and this and that. And I push it as really the only way that something will realistically happen. My issue with that is those policies are not changing. We have not seen them change in response to that scientific push. We have not even seen them seriously considered. I think it's time to go back and look at conservation because that's not policy. That's not somebody making a rule for all of us. That is a little choice that we make every minute, every couple of minutes or so, that we are empowered to make on our own behalf. And for better or worse, because we are part of the world that uses so terribly much energy and food, if we can add up little choices into a good-sized choice, we can make a difference in how food and energy flow around the world. I think I don't want to give up on people. I don't want to give up on conservation because I see, especially in the new generation, a real hunger for change. And I want to empower people to make the changes that they can make. And I do believe that will lead to an expectation that institutions make the changes they can make. And we are living in quite an interesting time to really put into effect, <laughs> I think, these changes. Uh, who would have thought, here we are in March of 2020, uh, that we would be living in the circumstances that we are. And I thought of this in, in reading the story of Moore is how relevant it is and how we've kind of had an imposed experiment, but it's it's life, placed on us and how we have the opportunity to make, we have to make some changes and how these might stick over time. Right. So so the last 50 years have structured our lives. They have structured uh, the way we spend our time. We spend a work week, we spend a weekend, and we spend evenings, right? Right. Okay. So the last 50 years have structured how we spend our lives, how we spend our time, where we spend our time, how we get from one place to another. 
Now, the way we live locks a lot of that in. We have to get to work. We have to educate our children. We have to feed and shelter ourselves. A lot of the traditions around that are locked into how we use energy, right? So there was an inflexibility that just sort of entrenched itself over the last 50 years in the way we designed our cities, in the way we defined labor and the family, etc. What's happening right now is that there's a terrible, terrible illness. People are suffering. People are dying. And there's absolutely nothing good about that. There's no silver lining. There's no positive that goes with that. That is that is all that is all an unfortunate and painful thing. Um, I don't mind telling you I'm a spiritual person, and my only hope for that is that it will end, that it will be over. Once it's over, we will have some things to talk about. Right now, I'm in Norway where we are in our homes for the most part. We've been asked to stay home except to go out and buy food or to go to the pharmacy. And uh, this is a recommendation and a request from our leaders. And for the most part, um, from what I can tell, people are complying and it's starting to make a difference in our hospital scene. Once all this is over, maybe we can start to talk about the fact that while we were at home, a lot of the things that we did every day turned out to be optional, right? right? So we're all working from home and a lot of us aren't commuting. Does that mean our workplaces can run without all this commuting, which of course costs energy, it costs time, folks get hurt behind the wheel. There's all kinds of costs associated with that. So there will be conversations about what part of what we thought we had to do turned out to be optional. And are we going to decide to go back blindly to the way we did things? Or are we going to forge a new way of living based on what we've learned we can live without? And that is... uh... The big question, and hopefully it's a question that we take so seriously, because I think we will find, I find that I'm so appreciating having the less commuting, that I thus have more time to do some other things. And it it is peaceful. We're... Hope we'll see that we are thus polluting less because uh, there's still quite a few cars on the road, but we're doing less of that. So the hope is that we will learn, as as you're saying, Hope Jaren, that uh, that after all of this is done, and and I hope that what we'll see is that there was a silver lining in that we learned a lesson from it. We will have the data in order to test those ideas, uh, to see how much of a difference it made in specific things like um, greenhouse gas emissions, et cetera. Um, But of course, the number one priority now is to get ourselves to a point where we're well and we're not so terribly um, worried and grieving about, about this crisis. Indeed. It's a time where we can look to reading materials that are uplifting, that are positive. This book, The Story of More, I feel it is uplifting. 
Yes. If you're at home using less energy, it's a wonderful time to sit and read about a book that describes the wonderful things that could spring from using less energy. <laughs> and it's a hopeful book. You know, I, uh, I was always taught that um, love is a gift and hope is a duty. And we don't give up on the world, especially after uh, we are the ones who compromised it. And uh, I believe in our power to learn and our power to solve problems. And I don't believe that because I'm naive. I believe it because I see it every day in the classroom. It's my job to watch people grow, to help them grow, to help them understand things, and to help them live differently as a result of that new understanding. And, and that's what I expect. Uh, that's what I expect from the world. Um, this is a problem we created by definition. If we can create a problem, we can solve it. You know, we, we, we are flawed, but, and we are troubled, but we are many and it's not over yet. You know, uh, there is still time and the train hasn't left the station. And again, you are empowered to make a hundred choices a day that have to do with your energy use, your food use, um, and, and, it's a, and those things are up to you and don't let anybody tell you that they don't matter. It, it matters without question. And part of the, uh, the reason that it really matters, too, is how while we are a small percentage of the world global population – you remind us how we are the consumers of the vast majority of the resources that there are. Right. So all the global suffering is actually a problem of distribution. That's, that's, if there's any tragedy in this book, that's, that's what it is. So in the last 50 years, very, very simply, if I had to boil the whole thing down, in the last 50 years, population has doubled but food production has tripled and energy production has tripled as well. So there's really no reason in terms of what we're producing that anybody on the globe should be hungry or anybody on the globe shouldn't have enough energy to sterilize equipment in hospitals or light their way home or keep the lights on after dinner so kids can do homework and go to school. Um, I don't get tired easily. I don't get down easily, but I remember the book has a lot of calculations in it, a lot of databases from a lot of sources. But I remember the day that I figured that out, that the amount of food we throw away in Europe and America is sufficient to bring the undernourished of the world up to an adequate level of nourishment, right? Mm -hmm. Um, that, that, all of the want and suffering that we see, all of it, is not due to the Earth's inability to provide. It's due to our inability to share. And so somehow finding our way to a better distribution, that's, you know, that is the ultimate journey of this next century in my eyes. You know, is it something that we can even start to try to do. Um, that's, 
that's the really biggest picture behind all of this, I think. And you say that there's this mantra that runs through your head. You share this in the story of more that is use less, share more. And if, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Use less, share more. And it's so necessary. You know, it pops out of every chapter. I talk about grain. I talk about meat. I talk about the production of electricity, the production of um, transportation, miles moving around. Um, you know, I, I talk about so many of the things that we we need to stay, stay alive. And you know, in the U.S., Canada, and Europe, we've we've got so much of that. We we actually have to find new ways to throw it away, right? <laughs> About forty percent of the edible food that enters our commercial system is is thrown away. So we're dealing with such a glut of more. We're actually having to find new ways to get rid of it and throw it away. I mean, one of them is to turn food into ethanol. So we grow food using tractors that burn fuel, and we take that food and we harvest it using tractors that burn fuel, and then we ferment it back into fuel so that we can put it in other engines <laughs> in order to burn it. I mean, some of the things we're doing just to get rid of all this more are actually absurd, you know, yes. almost like these environmental Mobius strips. And... You know, think of all the time we could have with our families and each other, you know, if we basically just stopped chasing our tails in circles, looking for more, building more, consuming more, buying more, throwing more away, etc. Now, the problem with a mantra like use less, share more, it's not going to make anybody rich, right? There's nobody who's going to profit off of a philosophy of less, Use less of this, take less of this, buy less of this, throw away less of this, right? And there's a challenge in there. There really is um, because we have constructed a system that, that trapped us into all this more. And, and breaking those chains is, is a big, big undertaking. And am I naive to think we can do it by buying one less package of um, junk at the supermarket or out of a vending machine at a time. I'm actually naive enough to think that if I do it, maybe not, but if we all do it, probably yes. Yes. I think that that, that is it. It is collectively all of us doing that and in that way making a change because if we are so wedded to the way that we have things, we see that the result is not very bright. So it's an opportunity then, an important opportunity, to think of how we do things differently. And it really does involve all of us. Right. So so how to make a change in society? That's a big, big question. How do you do that? Well, there's lots of ways. You know, you could write a bill and put it before Congress. You could um, start a protest on the White House lawn. You know, you could um, make secret meetings with very, very powerful people. <laughs> you know, I, I guess there's all kinds of ways you could do that. But I don't have the skills for any of those ways. W what am I? I'm a scientist. 
My skills are around looking up data, understanding data, and using it to tell a story in the best way that I know how, in the most entertaining way that I know how. The book is actually funny in all the right places. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and and in the most accurate way that I know how. And so that's that's what I can do, and that's what I've done with this book. It's called The Story of More. How we got to climate change and where to go from here. And the book, it's its really all of what you have shared, uh, Hope, and so much more. You know, the stories, its it really is an easy read. You just want to get to the next part. And, and gives us the opportunity to understand and thus the reason that we want to make a difference. I trust it gives us that impetus. It does for me. It reminds me because I can get lulled into forgetting. But I think this is a time that we are given the opportunity. Almost, I, I've thought of it as a reset button that we can take this time of th this great kind of upheaval going on globally uh, to do something constructive with it. And think how much power is in that. Think, think of what a moment this is, you know? We need to get past the sickness and the suffering. Yes. But then maybe we can have this big moment that we can tell our grandchildren about and that our young children will live differently because of it. It's 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 overwhelming, you know, um, and it's not a bad time to sit down with a book and and really give yourself the luxury of of going on a journey, hearing a few stories, deciding whether or not you agree, and then deciding whether or not you want to act. Yes, that is something we do have control over: our choices our choice to do each and every piece of this. And you have a, a really interesting website. We should share that with folks so they can learn more and, and read that much more. It's a simple thing. Uh, while it uses energy to turn on our computers, and it still is uh, saving energy by not driving out somewhere. Very little energy. And that's part of what the book does is, you know, if you want to save energy, what are the things in your house that you should turn on? Is it the light bulbs? Is it the Netflix? No, it actually turns out if you can change the setting on your hot water heater, you'll, you know, it's, it's, those things are a huge bang for the buck in comparison to um, our plugged in electronics. So there is some practical information in the book also about, um, ways to make choices and to make what will feel like the right choices or, or the or the most powerful choices um, given the energy flow in in generally in your home yes exactly so let's mention the website where uh, we can connect more and learn more you can go to the story of more.com and that will get you to information about the book, information about me, other things I've written, um, thoughts of the day, blogs, uh, just a lot of fun stuff. Um, wonderful things about science. You know, science is, science is more like art than anything else. It's to be enjoyed. And there's got to be better ways to share that. And I've tried some today, and I'm going to think of some more tomorrow. So uh, stick with me, and um, please visit the website and give the book a spin. 
absolutely give the book a spin. You are the most wonderful science teacher, professor, whether you're doing it in a classroom, I can just imagine that. I feel that we've had some privilege of experiencing that together this morning. So Hope Jaren, thank you so greatly for who you are, what you do, and taking time with us this morning. Hey, thank you so much. And i uh, love to talk to you again. And have a great day to all your listeners. Excellent. You as well.